You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in James, James chapter 1 again, and uh, we're not going to... Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving you anything up front. So once you, once you start turning, let's go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the scripture, James chapter 1, and out of respect to God's word tonight. And we will, uh, just to give context, we're going to start reading in verse 1, but we'll go down through verse 12 tonight. And James chapter 1, verse 1 is where we'll begin down through verse 12. And uh, continuing in our series, our verse-by-verse exposition of the book of James And uh, so begin reading in verse 1. It says, James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. And divers just means various, meaning that there are all kinds of tests you're going to face. In the, in the Christian life. Various diverse temptations. Verse 3. Knowing this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. That ye may be perfect and entire. Wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom. Let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally. And upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And that word upbraideth, we looked at it last week. It means that God doesn't reproach us for asking for help. He doesn't doesn't get on to us for asking for wisdom when we need it. He upbraideth not. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a, a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And this is the focus of our our message tonight. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And there's some powerful truth in these verses tonight. And I hope to do it justice this evening as we look at this. And just as, a, as I want to give you some hope tonight. How about that? That'd be a help to get a little hope tonight. And tonight I think this will provide some hope. And uh, let's, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time together. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. That you'd meet with us in a special way tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help the simplicity of the text, the simplicity of the truth, not to cloud our judgment as to the importance of the truth. God, sometimes we can do that. 
And that we, we see there's a, a, a simple truth, a simple concept, and it doesn't seem significant. But, but Lord, help us to recognize that this matters a lot. And we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and our minds tonight through your word. We pray that you'd speak to each of us and help us to have better perspective on our tests after this message. We love you and pray that you bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was reading uh, this week that one way you can test the authenticity of a diamond is to hold one with tweezers um, over a flame. And if you will hold a diamond over the flame for, or a candle for 30 to 45 seconds and then drop it immediately in icy water, then the authenticity of that diamond will be shown because if it's a fake diamond, it can't handle the extreme temperature change that fast. But a real diamond will hold up under that extreme temperature change. Now, I don't know. I haven't tried that. Um, because uh, I didn't want to put my wife's ring at risk this week. I mean, I'm the one that bought it. Um, but what a great illustration of the tests of life is that your maturity is revealed when the heat is on and your circumstances change. And by the way, young ladies, if a young man asks you to marry him, pull out a lighter and a glass of ice water and see what he does. That may be the longest 45 seconds of his life. And if he, if he tries to pull a, pull a fire alarm or pull the ring out of your hand and run away, just write that at that point, just say no, okay? <laughs> there may be some husbands in here, and you may go home tonight, get rid of the candles in your house. I don't know. You know, that's what the book of James is all about, though, is that he wants them to be perfect, not sinless. He wants them to be complete, mature, and the tests of life do two things. They reveal our maturity and they raise our maturity. They show us and they grow us. See, the trying of our faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work. James' message is even though it's hard, stay under the pressure. Stay under the heat because the heat will reveal who you are and it will grow you. And we must decide, as we talked about last week, we must decide if we're going to be students or victims. Because students look at the test and they say, I want to learn. I want to endure. Victims say, life is hard. Woe is me. I have it worse than everyone else. The maturity level of those people is revealed in the heat. And if you choose to be a victim in the heat, then you will miss the lessons. When the tests come, students choose to count it all joy. They choose to have a joyful attitude. See, you, you choose to have a joyful and thankful spirit even when it's hard. That's what a student does. Because you know that God is working in you through the trial. He's making you better through the trial. Paul said rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. To rejoice is a choice. And it's possible when it's hard to choose joy. Students also know that the trying of their faith worketh patience. They choose to have an understanding mind. And by that I mean the word patience here in this text means endurance. The testing helps you endure. And if you know that, then it sure helps you to accept the test. If, if in your mind you will face a trial or a difficulty 
understanding that, that it's there to help you endure to the end. It's there to help you be better. It's there to help you be mature and to be complete. If you know that in your mind, if you choose to have an understanding mind, then you will deal with the hard now so that it can be better later. Students choose also to let patience have her perfect work. They choose to have a submissive will. And that you have to say to God in a trial, in your test, Father, whatever you want. Father, if this is your will, I do it. I will let you work like Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. You have to let patience have her perfect work. God doesn't force his way onto us. We must submit to the process and let him work. And the last word that we looked at, so it's count and know and let and then ask for wisdom. So you've got to have a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, a submissive will, and humble faith. That you just ask for wisdom and you humble yourself before God. And in the middle of your trial, you ask him for his wisdom and his guidance. And you'll, want to, you'll want to ask him to turn down the heat. That's what you'll want to ask him. You'll want to ask him to remove the trial. That's what you'll want to ask him. You'll wish that you could ask him to remove the test. Don't. Simply ask God for wisdom. I was at, we went to Culver's this afternoon and I saw a, a bumper sticker on a van and it said, don't ask for a lighter load, ask for a stronger back. Amen. And I thought that was pretty good. Because our temptation in the middle of temptation is to ask God to remove the load. And really what we should be asking is that God would strengthen us so that we could bear the load that he's allowed us to have. Choose to count, choose to know, choose to let, and choose to ask. So we come, we come to the next set of verses. And the idea of humility in a trial is carried forward in these verses, verses 9 and 10. Let's read that again. It says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. See, James shifts this focus here from all believers to, in a test to certain believers. He, he specifically then calls out the rich and the poor. And see, what we see here is that possessions tend to cloud our perspective, don't they? Uh, we tend to look at possessions and assume something about people based on their possessions. See, God, James turns his attention to labels that we might use, the rich and the poor. But God, listen, understand, God doesn't separate anybody by rich or poor. God doesn't look at what you have in your bank account or the house that you live in or the car that you drive and categorize you that way, even though that's how we often place people in categories based on what they own. And he says low degree, he says let the brother of low degree. So his first uh, audience here is he's dealing with those of low degree. And that literally means humiliation. It means low to the ground. And what, Paul, what James is talking about is, is that is this is someone that hasn't gotten far off the ground financially. He's talking to those that are poor. These readers, they would have been poor. Many of them would have had lost everything. Think about it. They were scattered, the Bible says. They were scattered abroad because of persecution. And they were driven from their homes because they followed Jesus Christ. And if they had left everything, and think about it, 
if you're scattered, that means that you were once living in Sioux Falls, but your choice to follow Jesus Christ. And by the way, this isn't that far-fetched in our country. That you're choosing to follow Jesus Christ. You live in Sioux Falls. The government comes in and says you can't follow Christ. You can't meet. You can't, you can't speak up and speak in his name and try to win people to Christ. And by the way, that's, the, that's reality in many countries around this world. If the government comes in or an entity comes in and says, you can't follow Christ like that. And because of persecution, because your life might be in danger, then you would, we would scatter. And we would be in different places. And I would, I would personally go south somewhere. Now, just me, because winter is coming. Okay? So uh, you would be scattered. Some of you would be in Texas and some might be in, I was going to say California, but we wouldn't go there right now. Um, you might be in Colorado. You might be in Florida. And you might be in the Florida Keys, you know, some of you. Might be where you choose to be scattered in your persecution. But then somebody writes a letter to all those scattered abroad. But listen, if you're scattered and you had to leave your home, you probably lost access to your bank account. You probably left in your garage, you left your vehicles maybe. You just had to leave. Well, that's what they were dealing with. They were scattered abroad and they didn't have much. It would have been common for them not to have very much. They would have been poor. But James makes it clear that God's perspective on possessions is not the same as ours. And he says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. What does that mean? Well, rejoice is the same Greek word that's very often translated glory. Meaning the poorest Christian can rejoice in the position of honor they hold in heaven. That God doesn't look at us like the world looks at us. And he says the poorest Christian can have a position of honor in heaven. Ephesians 2.6 says that God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in, G in Christ Jesus. Exaltation on earth can't touch that. I don't care what kind of attention that uh, some famous athlete or some famous singer or famous actor gets. Uh, if you are exalted and you sit in heaven, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, then your position in heaven is better than any position anybody on earth could ever hold. I was talking to one of the guests this morning, uh, and uh, his name is, is uh, Potter, Micah Potter. And he was the, you probably saw him. He was six, he's six foot ten. I saw Dale Moline walk up behind him and be like, and Dale is pretty tall. Six foot ten, he plays for the, the Sioux Falls Sky Force, the G League here. He went to, to college at University of Wisconsin. I, I watched him play college basketball when he was in college. I remember him. And he was in our service today, by the way, and he enjoyed it. It was a blessing to him. He, he, loved, he loved the service. He was thankful for it. And he plans to be back. So him and his wife, and she was probably, uh, who knows, she was pretty tall too. They will have tall children. And, and so she played college volleyball. He played college basketball. And, and uh, he signed, he didn't get drafted, but he signed with the Heat and played summer basketball with the Miami Heat this summer. And now he's in Sioux Falls and came to our service. That's awesome. I'm just thankful for it. Um, and I have no idea what it's talking about. So, okay. <laughs> Micah. Okay, this, what was it? Oh, okay. You know, he's talking about LeBron James this morning. 
And I said, you know, uh, it's amazing, because he said he had tweaked his ankle. And I said, it's amazing that some guys can, can have uh, a long career and never get injured. They just play and play and play and play. And it's amazing uh, that guys like that, you know, they just don't get hurt. And then there are guys that get hurt all the time. And, you know, you just feel sorry for those guys because he had hurt his ankle. And I said, but on the other hand, LeBron James, I heard he spends like $100,000 a year on his body. Training. Uh, all, the, all the things that go into keeping your body healthy. And Mike has said, actually, no, he spends a million dollars on his body every year. LeBron James. And he's been in the league for 17 or 18 years, maybe, and he hardly ever gets hurt. And I said, well, if, you, if I spent that much money on myself, I probably would be just as healthy. And a and, and million dollars a year, that's incredible. But listen, the, the, all the exaltation that LeBron James will get on earth touch, doesn't touch at all that Jesus Christ brings us as Christians into heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The exaltation. Listen, this is not a matter of pride. It's not like I could get there on my own. Jesus Christ brought us there. But we view somebody with wealth and honor as being more significant, but worldly possessions, they don't look the same in God's eyes. We know that based on what he says next in James. Verse 10, he says, but the rich in that he is made low. So the thought is carried. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. But the rich, let him rejoice in that he is made low. He says, let the poor brother rejoice in his humiliation. Let the rich brother rejoice or glory in his, humil in his humiliation. See, the idea is that a believer who's well-off and healthy and physically blessed should rejoice or glory when the trials and the tests come. Because the tests are reminders that life is transitory. The rich person should be thankful when the tests come because James is saying you need to be reminded that you can have all the stuff you could ever want, but it doesn't exempt you from hardship, and that humility is good for us. I have a couple of graphics, and the first one that I want to show is that is this is our mindset very often. Our mindset is that possessions are greater than when it's hard. That our possessions somehow give us an advantage when we face the tests of life. That our possessions somehow help us when it's hard. That we think the more I have, the, the easier it will be to overcome the tests. But that's not true. You see, someone blessed, and you can just leave it up for now. I'll tell you when it changes to the next one. But someone blessed in many ways needs the reminder that all the stuff, the houses, the cars, the bank account balance, the comfort, the vacations, the toys, as good as they are, they can't provide help in the areas that matter most when you need it most. When it's hard, see, we think possessions are greater than hard, but when it's hard, possessions can't help you. We have a tendency to place our trust in material things. And maybe you have to this point, as we've, as we've been talking about, maybe you've been put yourself in the category of the brother of low degree. You say, well, I'm poor. I can relate to that. No, let's be honest. As Americans compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. 
We have stuff. We have comfort. And I just wonder if the theme verse of American Christianity needs to be the rich in that, let the rich rejoice in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. See, I, I don't think that, that we as Americans would, would tend to, as, as poor, view ourselves in that regard. We, we really will get to the place more easily that we trust in our possessions than we will anything else. We, we will get to the place that we trust in what we have and what we own before we'll have any other difficulties. We've had it so good we may have forgotten just how temporary material things are. And maybe the difficulties that we're facing right now as a country or that we might face as a country, they might do us some good in our faith. Because it will cause us to stop leaning so hard on the blessings and turn our attention to God. See, here's how temporary James says possessions are. In verse 11, For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also the rich man fade away in his ways. See, this is a picture of vegetation in Israel, in that the grass may spring up after a rain, but the roots aren't deep, and so when the sun comes, it's gone like that. And the idea is that ineffectiveness of material things to help you when you're facing a test, that will drive the rich person to the Lord. He'll recognize that riches have no answer for life's toughest moments. And he'll find out, and we'll go to the next graphic now, he'll actually find out that hard, hard is greater than possessions. The tests are tougher than our possessions. In the middle of a difficult test, possessions don't matter. When it's hard, the rich and the poor are the same. A poor person's standing doesn't hurt him in a test because possessions can't carry him through a test. But on the other hand, a rich person's standing can't help him in a test because possessions can't carry him through a test. Tests put everybody on equal footing. They're the great equalizer. Material possessions or lack of them are ultimately of no consequence when it comes to facing your tests and facing your trials. Uh, humble faith in trials will lift a lowly brother beyond his testing into a position of honor in God's eyes where he has spiritual riches and can glory in his position in Christ. But in the same way, a rich man facing a trial with humble faith will be filled with a spirit of lowliness and humility, reminding him that his wealth can't help him through the tests. Tests will make a poor man forget his poverty, and they'll make a rich man forget his wealth. Hard tests are great equalizers. In your darkest moment, friend, that what you possess down here has no bearing on whether or not you pass your tests. The rich man may think he has an advantage in life. Until he faces a terminal illness. And he realizes that his bank account can't help him. I know plenty of, and I've heard of this and you've heard of this. Plenty of wealthy people that have everything. And they die of the same disease as the poor do. 
You know, we, we can trust possessions all we want, but when you've been wronged by somebody, that can be a hard test. When you've been wronged by somebody, that test will reveal just how inadequate things are to help you forgive. Because you would think that somebody with lots of stuff would be able to let bygones be bygones, but some of the most bitter people I've ever met were wealthy. Possessions can be helpful, but when you in a spiritually dark place, because a relationship has fallen apart, you find out that stuff can't help you to that level. Material things are enjoyable until you're struggling with anxiety and inner peace. And you realize that in the middle of the night, you really don't care about your retirement fund balance. We can place our trust in material things, but when we face great loss, they can't touch the pain. And when you lose a spouse or someone you love dearly, wealth is no comfort. I mean, you've probably seen the same things I have when someone is killed because of someone else's bad choices or some big company does something and there's a large lawsuit and that family gets a large sum, a large payout because they dealt with death in their family. And just about every time it happens, people ask them, well, how do you feel now? Well, they'll say, I've got millions of dollars in my bank account, but it can't bring them back. It doesn't actually touch the pain or the suffering that I've dealt with. Tests are great equalizers. They bring all of God's children to level ground with him. That's the point that James is making. Poverty doesn't keep God away and riches don't bring him closer. And if we could sum up James's message, it would be hard is greater than, no, not yet. It would be hard is greater than possessions. That's his message. And he say, wow, thanks for the hope. Boy, you're just, man, you just really cheered me up tonight. Thanks a lot, Pastor. Now, I just want you to be reminded what James is trying to tell us. Hard is greater than possessions. And in a battle between hard tests and possessions, the possessions can't touch the hard. If this was a battle uh, between the hard tests and possessions, hard tests would win every time. So James then shifts his focus. Where does the hope come? Well, there is hope. And you already got a sneak preview, so my whole message is ruined. Thank you, Brother Andrew. So James shifts his focus in verse 12. The verse reads like one of the Beatitudes, honestly. Blessed, blessed is the man. And the point he makes is that we need to stop focusing on earthly possessions and realize that the possessions that we gain through Christ, both present and future, those are superior to anything we'll ever have down here. And so look at the present possession in verse 12. He says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. You know that's talking about today, blessed, blessed. That you can be happy today. You can have joy today. It's present. See, a proper faith response will give you joy in spite of your test. And in spite of your social standing... Listen, some of the happiest people I know have very little. My wife and I once went, went to India on a missions trip and we spent uh, over a week there. And I'm telling you, the people that we were around, had they have absolutely nothing. Nothing. No, no wealth. I mean, hardly a place to live. And they're the most joyful, happiest people I know because they're saved. 
They have the joy of the Lord in their lives. And yet I look around it, and sometimes at church, and we have everything we need, but um, you couldn't tell it by our faces. And some of the happiest people I know have very little. And, and James is saying it, that your tests, although they're hard, you can still have joy in the hard. You can presently have a possession of joy. And throughout history, followers of Christ have endured horrible circumstances and with nothing to their names, starting with Jesus Christ. But you can have fullness of joy if you choose to endure and just let the test do its work. You can have a present possession of joy, but you can also have a future possession. Uh, he says there's a crown of life. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. A crown signifies royalty or honor or victory. And what this crown seems to be is the crown every believer receives as a reward for salvation in faith, by faith in Christ. And the point that James is making is this. You may not have much now, but there's something waiting for you. Rich or poor, doesn't matter. You can have joy in your trial today, friends. And you'll be blessed later when you receive your heavenly reward Possessions that matter the most, internal joy and eternal reward. Those are available to rich or poor. doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. But there's an important key right here. So what's the Lord really looking for? Well, we know the words. The words are count and, and know and let and ask and faith, humility. But how does the Lord sum it all up? Well, look again in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation... For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You see, to fail a test is not a failure of faith. It's a failure of love. And I'm going to say that again. To fail a test is not a failure of faith. It's a failure of love. See, our responses to the tests reveal our love for God. And if you're failing your test, it speaks to your love of God. And if you love the Lord like you should, according to that verse, you will endure. Because this is the last equation here, is that love is greater than hard. That the one thing you need to endure the hard tests is just to love God. See, and, and, and this is true in so many areas of life. I'm just thinking about marriage. And there's a lot about marriage that's hard, according to my wife. I, and that's not my opinion, that's her opinion. Clarify. You know, there's a lot about marriage that's hard. And, and I don't just mean he snores too loud and she shops too much. I mean tests. I mean getting used to each other. That can be a test. But I also mean things like health problems and financial stress. Raising children and not being on the same page. Forgiveness. Or even bigger things and bigger trials, bigger losses. Listen, choosing to stand by your spouse and being faithful to your spouse and counting it joy when it's hard and letting the Lord mature you through the difficulties. You know how that happens? When each spouse in the marriage chooses love over hard. When you choose love 
it overcomes the difficulty and it helps you endure the pressure. That's what James is saying. Another application is raising children. Because there's a lot about raising children that's hard. And I don't have any disclaimers on that one. I know that to be true. Diapers. Just stop there and have an invitation. <laughs> Sleepless nights. Cleaning up. Having the same child training philosophy as your spouse. Or big things. Health trials in your children's lives. A disobedient spirit the older they get. An attitude problem. Wayward children. Losing children. Listen, it's hard. And you know how you endure when it's hardest? You choose love over the hard. And you just say, well, love is greater than hard. I mean, I'm thinking about witnessing. You know, being a good witness is hard. You're going to get rejected and you'll be mocked. And you may upset a coworker, and you might get a door slammed in your face. And you might make somebody mad. You will make somebody mad. People will reject Christ. Your family may shut you out. You might lose a friend. It's hard. But when it's hard, what happens? Well, you have to choose that your love for Christ and your love for others has to be chosen over what's hard. And sometimes when you just simply choose to keep loving even when it's hard, you might get to enjoy a day like we got to enjoy this morning. But you know, you know what that had to happen for those people to come today? Is that countless people in, the, in this room, when it comes to witnessing, they had to choose love over hard. They had to say, no, I love Christ so much that I'll just keep doing this. And I love my neighbors enough that I'm just going to keep doing this because love is greater than hard. I think about our church. There's a lot about being a part of a church family that's hard. Disagreements and serving with people you wouldn't necessarily choose. Offenses, like we talked about Wednesday night. And I mean both real offenses and perceived offenses. And honestly, they, they both are just as dangerous. A spirit of competition. A spirit of pride. A spirit of anger. You know, God calls us to unity, but there are so many things attacking our foundation of unity all the time. And I don't just mean Eastside Baptist Church, I mean every local New Testament church. And you know what has to help us endure when it's hard? Is that we as members of Eastside have to choose love over the hard. And we have to say, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy. I know the test feels so heavy. But you know what? I'm just going to choose to love. I think about discipleship. And that's what this is really about in James. Our love for our Lord is the key to passing the difficult tests. Our love for Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. We, we love him because he gave his son for our sins. We love him because he's creator, but he wants a relationship with me. We love him because he can provide joy in a test today and a crown after the test later. And he wants to use the test for my good. And if we'll love him as we should, we can endure the test. But we must choose love over hard. 
Jesus said in Matthew 22, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And what he says is on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. You know what he's saying there? There's nothing love can't overcome. When it's hard, there's nothing love can't overcome. And you say, well, I just don't know. This just seems way too feel good, like a feel good Joel Osteen kind of message tonight. And I, I just don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, it, this is pretty biblical. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. There's nothing love can't overcome. And if in case you didn't believe me, I'm just going to read the Bible to you, okay? 1 Corinthians 13. It's talking about love, charity. And it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Look what charity does. Charity suffereth long. You know what? I can say it this way. Love is greater than hard. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Love is greater than hard. Charity envieth not. Love is greater than hard. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Love is greater than hard. I've seen a lot of people easily provoked in my life, and you have too. Listen, love is greater than hard. You don't have to respond. Thinketh no evil, verse 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Love is greater than hard. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Love is greater than hard. Verse 13, look down at the end. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Love is greater than hard. See, when it's hard, and it will be hard, and you ask yourself, why? Why should I keep counting it all joy? Why should I choose a joyful attitude? And when you ask yourself, why should I know that the trying of our faith worketh patience? Why should I choose to have an understanding mind? Why? Why should I let patience have her perfect work? Why should I choose to have a submissive will? Why should I ask God for wisdom? Why should I have humble faith? Well, here's how you answer it. Because it will be hard. And you will ask yourself that question. But here's, why, here's how you answer it. It comes down to this. Are you ready? Because I love Jesus. And you say, well, that's not very, very profound. It's pretty, it's, that's pretty simple. And I say, yes, you're right, it's not very profound. But 
that truth? James says that truth is the key to enduring your hardest tests. Is that in the end, when you're asking yourself, why should I keep doing this? You come back to, well, love is greater than hard. And we just read that love can help bear anything. So when it's hardest, remember love is greater than hard. Listen, your endurance is dependent on whether or not you keep choosing to love God. Even when it's hardest. Listen, it's going to, there will be some dark moments. There will be some dark times. And some of you have been through those dark times recently. And in, just like in a marriage or with children or in a church family, it's going to come down to you saying, okay, I'm either going to let hard win or I'm going to choose love over the hard. Because love beareth all things. And no matter how hard it gets, we have a promise from God in 1 Corinthians 10 and in James 1 that charity never faileth. And if our love for God will remain and we will tell ourselves in the hardest times that we, I love Jesus, then that will help us endure the hardest moments. And when they come, you'll be tested. I'm telling you, you'll be tested. And there won't be much else to hold on to except... Do you love Jesus? And I'm just encouraging us tonight. It's not a magic formula. But I'm encouraging us tonight to decide right now that when it gets hard, we're going to choose love over hard. In our marriages, love over hard. With our children, love over hard. With our church family, love over hard. Following God, love over hard. Tests, trials, temptations... Well, they might take you down if you're relying on your possessions. But if you're relying on your love for Christ to carry you through, that literally is the only thing that God says will help you. He says there's a crown of life waiting for those that love him. Love is greater than heart. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have a verse of invitation. Didn't give a lot of steps because I don't think there are a lot of steps required. I think the question tonight is, do you love God enough to trust him through the trials? Will your love for Jesus be strong enough when it gets hard? I'm telling you, love is greater than hard. Charity never faileth. Charity beareth all things. There is a way to endure the trials and it comes down to do you love God most or not? So it's time to ask ourselves that question, evaluate where we are in our love for the Lord tonight. Because the one that loves the Lord, the Bible says, is the one that endureth temptation. And when you're tried, you'll receive the crown of life that the Lord will give those that love him. So it's maybe good to ask ourselves the question, go back to the root of our motivation for following God. Do we truly love God like we should? Father, thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help it to be something that helps us in our walk with you to carry through the difficulties because hard is coming. And the only thing that we have to carry us through is the answer to the question why 
And if we, the only thing we can say is because I love Jesus. Help us to have that kind of a love for you that it carries us through the most difficult seasons. God, have your will and way in the service tonight. Help us to respond in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.